This week on One Body, Stewarding God's Creation, Dr. Amy Hogan talks about cholesterol. Do you or does somebody you know have high cholesterol? Dr. Amy Hogan has everything we need to know about this topic. And now, here's Dr. Amy Hogan. Hello and welcome to One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. This is Dr. Amy Hogan. We're glad you could be with us today. We have an excellent topic which affects many, many people. It was actually a requested topic, and that is high cholesterol. You've probably heard and read a lot about cholesterol and just sometimes wonder, what does all that hype mean, and why does it matter to me, and why is my doctor always after me about my cholesterol numbers? Well, today we're going to tell you. So, we'll start with, why does cholesterol matter? for our first segment. The second segment will be how to decrease your cholesterol with natural ways, natural means, and also to prevent high cholesterol in a primary means. In other words, don't ever get high cholesterol by doing good things with your body and with your life. And third, we'll talk about how do we treat cholesterol once it's already too high or what's known as secondary prevention. So we'll talk about why does it matter, primary prevention, and secondary prevention. Let's begin with a prayer. Dear Lord, we just pause and we think of you because we know that in the scheme of life, you desire us to steward our bodies with the utmost of care. Dear God, we know that many times we cannot control the thorns in our lives. But we ask, dear God, that you would give us the wisdom and the strength to be able to understand how to help our bodies, how to help ourselves be more healthy and glorify you in all ways. Dear God, we know that you are with us and that you will give us strength to do what's right. Help us to draw upon your strength and your grace every day to move closer to our health goals, to be able to think about not what I can get away with, but how good can I be for the sake and the glory of your kingdom. We pray this, dear Jesus, through Christ our Lord. Amen. So again, thank you for joining us. The fact that you're interested in learning more about your health is pleasing to me because it shows that you care enough to want to do something about your health. I think that as doctors sometimes the best treat in our day is when someone comes in and says that they want to be proactive about getting healthier. And you know, everyone has to start small. So I often encourage people to take one small step at a time. There's no such thing, I always tell people, as a diet. A diet never works. Why does a diet never work? Well, it's because you try to change too much too fast and it doesn't agree with your own mental attitude. But if you can make small steps and small changes that in the end affect your life and really do change how you do things, how you view the world, and how you manage your own diet and exercise day by day, these things will last. 
The other most important thing is to get your friends or family on board so that you have somebody to give you a little bit of boost when you're down. Everybody gets down. In fact, I told my uh, second-born child the other day that the saints, all of our saints that we look up to and we think are so wonderful, and especially as a child, many children, of course, look at the saints as so next to God and that they are just so wonderful and how could they have ever done any wrong? It's not that the saints never did anything wrong, it's that they kept trying to do things right. And in their struggle, their constant struggle to glorify God and to look at Him in all things, they helped to pave their way to heaven's gate. And so don't give up. Everybody's going to have troubles. Everybody's going to fall down and doing the wrong thing with their diet regimen, their exercise regimen, or how they feel like they're doing their best to stay fit. But you got to get back on the horse. You got to try again. You got to keep looking at the ways that you can do better because everybody's different. Everybody's life is different. Everybody's lifestyle and time constraints, they're all different. So don't compare yourself either to someone else and how that person is doing, but do give other people encouragement and do join together in teams and as, and as families to help make each other healthier and to build up the kingdom as we are one body in Christ. The number one reason why cholesterol matters to most people is that it has a direct relationship to what's known as coronary heart disease. Coronary heart disease, we have discussed on another segment, has to do with the blockage of the arteries of the heart. In other words, that those arteries get gummed up and plaqued up so that the blood can't flow from the body or from the pumping of the heart into the heart itself to allow the heart muscle to keep going. And so, if you block or dam up the coronary arteries, that's called coronary heart disease, and the problem with this is that coronary heart disease is the number one killer of Americans, and the reason it's the number one killer is because it causes lots of damage in the area of causing heart attacks. A heart attack is when those blocked arteries, I kind of like to consider them as the little rivers that flow downstream to feed that heart muscle. If the river is blocked or dammed, that heart muscle is not able to get the nutrients and oxygen that it needs to keep its activity going. Your heart, of course, since we're in the American Heart Association Heart Month with Valentine's Day, just around the corner, the heart muscle is so important to us because it beats 24-7 from what a lot of our friends in the pro-life movement will say around 20 days, 18 to 21 days of our lives as a teeny tiny embryo until the moment of our natural death. So your heart has to work very hard for you. And if the heart muscle is damaged, this causes a lot of other problems, namely heart failure, inability to keep the pump running smoothly and effectively. So the reason nobody wants a heart attack is because it can make the heart muscle stop working properly. And as mentioned, high cholesterol is one of the most direct relationships to having 
coronary heart disease. So what we do to test it is we get what's called a fasting cholesterol panel or lipid panel. I think it's only fair to talk about what is considered too high. A lot of times those numbers are kind of shifted around and, well, what does this number mean to me? If your doctor has told you that you have high cholesterol, certainly they're probably using some sort of framework as how to judge what's high and what's low. You also may be wondering, what are those letters that go with the cholesterol, the HDL and the LDL and so on? So let's talk about that for just a few moments. So what is high cholesterol? And again, we'll continue talking about why does it matter? The LDL cholesterol is the one that probably has the most known and studied risk factor as far as causing the coronary heart disease. The LDL or bad cholesterol, as it goes up, directly affects whether or not someone can develop heart disease. And so they've made the guidelines and the numbers for LDL become stricter and stricter as time goes by because they know the lower the LDL, the better or the less your heart disease risk factor. So right now, what's considered optimal for LDL, that's your bad cholesterol. Sometimes I describe the bad cholesterol as the messy kids in the hallways of a school. So if you consider your coronary arteries as the hallways of a school, the LDL are those kids who are leaving papers and wearing muddy shoes and putting their gum all over things. The LDL are the messy, messy kids in the hallways of our schools. I know that's sort of silly sounding, but you'll understand in just a little bit. So optimal LDL is less than 100. Now for people with diabetes and other coronary heart disease risk factors, we are moving this number down to 70. So if your doctor says, well, your cholesterol is better, but it's not ideal, right now people with diabetes and with previous heart disease and other heart disease risk factors, we're trying to get that LDL down to how low can you go, which means less than 70. And today I'm using a little bit of help from a table from the Adult Treatment Panel 3, which was a study of studies that talked about classification of LDL total, and we're going to get to HDL cholesterol in just a minute. So uh, near optimal, they considered 100 to 129 of the LDL. Borderline higher LDL is 130 to 159. High LDL is 160 to 189. And very high LDL is 190 or above. I'm sure that if your LDL starts to climb in the 150 range, your doctor probably will have a talk with you. And that's certainly a reasonable thing because this is a borderline high LDL cholesterol. Um, as an optimist and also trying to be a perfectionist, I like to give my patients the number of shooting for less than 100. Now, total cholesterol used to get a lot of hype or attention also, uh, but the LDL has truly taken t center stage lately. Uh, but the total cholesterol plays into your good and bad and other cholesterol, so sometimes may disproportionately appear to be higher if you in fact have good good cholesterol or high good cholesterol. The total right now desirable is considered less than 200 
borderline high 200 to 239 and high total cholesterol to be greater than 240. Now while this doesn't always make sense because some patients are going to have really high good cholesterol. So what is good cholesterol? The portion of cholesterol that is considered excellent or good to have in your blood is the HDL. HDL stands for high density lipoprotein. So high density lipoproteins are important to us because they can actually carry cholesterol in our arteries and bloodstreams back to the liver for reprocessing. Now, nobody can live without cholesterol, don't get me wrong. So if you're trying for an extremely low cholesterol diet and your skin gets too dry and your hair starts falling out, it could be because everybody in their cells need cholesterol for its own cell structure. So we really can't live without cholesterol in some way, shape, or form. But having excellent or high good cholesterol, elevated high-density lipoprotein, or HDL, can help us to manage or decrease our heart disease risk. I often like to compare the LDL and the HDL in a ratio when I look at people's cholesterol panel, because here's why. The HDL I consider to be the janitors or the cleaner-uppers in the school. So we went back to our little example here of if you consider the heart to be a big old school and you consider the LDL to be the messy kids at school, the HDL are those who clean up and put away and sweep up those hallways so that they don't become congested and clogged with gunk and mud and gum and papers, okay? So we need the HDL to help clean up our arteries and the cholesterol that's excessive out in those arteries and those HDL promptly carry that garbage back to the liver to be reprocessed and recycled. Isn't that wonderful? And so it's known that people with excellent HDL, when their good cholesterol is high, they have lower risk for coronary heart disease. Surprise! What's amazing every so often is we'll find someone who has almost the same number of HDL as they do to LDL. And what I sometimes tell these people is I wish I had their cholesterol because when you have a similar number of LDL to HDL, it means that you virtually are extremely unlikely to ever have coronary heart disease. And it should also be known that just having low HDL, in other words, you don't have enough sweepers, you don't have enough janitors or helpers to clean up your hallways, this is certainly a risk factor for coronary heart disease. So maybe your total cholesterol is fine. Well, that could be because your HDL is part of that number. And maybe your LDL seems to be in a reasonably good or borderline range, but your HDL is low. They didn't used to give so much stock to this, but now they're realizing that low HDL alone can increase your risk of coronary heart disease. So seeing that everyone wants low bad cholesterol and high good cholesterol, it's probably a good idea that we talk about how do you manage these things. 
But one portion of the cholesterol panel that we did not yet mention is the triglycerides. And why does that have to do with anything? Well, it's not exactly a cholesterol. A cholesterol is actually a molecule that does have some structure and does add some uh, connection and some connection molecules. Like I said, all of which are necessary for some of your cells and the cell structure themselves. Triglycerides are more like free fats floating in the blood. And if someone has extremely high triglycerides, it's pretty disgusting. Sometimes their blood will be so full of fat that it looks milky or fatty in the blood when they go to have their blood drawn or taken out. And triglycerides, as part of the cholesterol or lipid panel, are an independent risk factor for, again, coronary heart disease. So why does it matter? We want low or good triglycerides to decrease our risk of fat and fatty plaques clogging up our arteries. And we were just talking about HDL, the good cholesterol, and before that, LDL, the bad cholesterol. And sometimes people ask me, well, what's a good ratio to have between the two of those? And so looking at statistics and so on, it's good to have a ratio of approximately 3 to 1. That's 3 LDL per every 1 HDL. When the ratio gets higher than this, if, for example, 4 to 1 or 5 to 1, you know that this means that your LDL is up and your HDL is down. And as we mentioned, the LDL being the messy, gunky, yucky, muddy kids that gum up the hallways of the school, and the HDL being those who clean up and pick up, and the janitors and the uh, people that are sweeping the hallways, we definitely want to keep our hallways clean, if you will. Having greater HDL compared to LDL makes sense for decreasing heart disease risk. So now let's move on to how do we help our bodies to have good or normal cholesterol values? How do we give ourselves the best edge in what's called primary prevention of high cholesterol, and in this case, leading to heart disease? So what do we do for that person who has high cholesterol but has never had any kind of heart attack or heart blockage or coronary artery disease? Well, we start with the best medicine ever, and that is we start with lifestyle changes. It's been shown over and over again through clinical trials and studies that even modest changes in the way that a person eats, exercises, and how their weight is going can definitely decrease the risk of the heart disease problems. Now the problem with lifestyle change, let me just be honest, it's the hardest change. It's the one where we have to sit back and look at our goals and look at how we live each day and decide how to tweak it or modify it in such a way that we can live a healthier way. Today I'm also using UpToDate.com, one of my medical literature resources, but it's really easy to see from the research that doing the changes it takes, which is some weight loss, which can help uh, bring down the cholesterol. Now there are certain people who are very thin and still have high cholesterol, so weight loss isn't the answer for everyone, but for those who are significantly overweight, typically bringing the weight down does help to 
decrease the cholesterol. Now, how do you do this? You can certainly engage in moderate, even some light aerobic activity, and also starting into a prudent diet. What does that mean? That means not the American diet. <laughs> it means cutting back on high-fat, high-processed uh, foods that are also typically high in calories. What I say is this typically means we try to avoid or limit those things that come in boxes. For example, there's a lot of great things in the frozen aisle, don't get me wrong, but there are also a lot of convenient foods that pack in a lot of extra fat and salt and calories that really aren't that good for us. The other thing would be to avoid the boxed hamburger meal that we get so frequently in our American diet. We have so many people and families that are busy and on the go that it's easier not to pack the supper but to grab the supper in a box. Unfortunately, over time, if anybody's ever watched the video, Super Size Me, it'd be a really good video to watch, uh, it shows that there are times in our American diet we just don't have any logic. We want to keep eating and eating and eating, and we get into habits that are not good for us. So really evaluating your habits and how many times a week that you eat out, how many times a week that you eat convenience foods, on the go, it's important to realize that this isn't always our best choice. And sometimes just a little careful planning will give you some time and energy to eat the right things. So I always tell patients the leaner, the greener protein or proteiner, the better you're going to have in your overall outcomes. People always say, oh, give me a diet, doctor. Why don't you tell me some things to do? The problem is if I come up with the specific things, that patient probably won't follow them long term. So what I say back to them is pick a few things that you know are trouble spots and then slowly change or tweak those things into healthier goals. And to remember, just like this show is called One Body, that the more you steward this one body that you've got, I often have to point out to people that you know, this is the only body that you are given. You don't get another chance. And so if you're not stewarding this body, then you're going to put it at risk for a higher risk of disease. You're going to put it at risk for more chance of disease. So we don't want that. We want people to look at their body as a temple and treat it that way. You've always heard the old adage, you are what you eat. In the case of cholesterol, it's very, very true. I also encourage people not to get into extremes of their modification of habits. Some people will say, well, I never eat red meat when I ask them what kinds of things do they do to be healthy. Well, red meat can be healthy for you. High source of iron, good source of protein, and has a lot of great things uh, nutrient-wise. So some red meat is not a problem. It's the fact that we often overdo on the fatty red meats, the sausages, the steak that has lots and lots of fat on the side that people admit that they sometimes just love to eat the fat. Um, it's part of the taste. Taste and fat go hand in hand. Uh, just ask a local butcher about marbling. What does marbling in the meat mean? It's wonderful stuff, and a, a, a wonderful steak every now and then is not a problem. So 
steak should not be where we focus our energy. Things like high-fat hamburger products, things like that. Uh, Bologna over time just isn't always a great choice. But this doesn't mean that you can't every so often have a bologna sandwich or a hot dog. It just means that these items shouldn't be on our list every single week. We should be thinking about them more like once a month. So diet and exercise can modify your lifestyle on lowering your cholesterol. So what kind of exercises would help the cholesterol? Typically, we think of cardiovascular exercises. So things that increase the heart rate and allow you to breathe more rapidly. We don't want you to overdo it. We just want you to be able to breathe at a pace where you can still talk, but still be able to do your exercise at the same time. So for example, brisk walking or treadmilling, those are some great ways to start because if you can walk, you can do this. We definitely don't want you to jump into a marathon program if you haven't uh, been doing anything from the get-go. You have to start slow. Also look for videos or CDs, things that you can do that get you moving and motivated. Sometimes you need a friend. Finding a friend that will go to the gym with you or walk with you is an excellent way to start some lifestyle modification in this area because usually if you enjoy your activity or your exercise, you're bound to do a lot more of it. The other thing to do is to not punish yourself for making exercise a priority in your life. I know way too many mothers especially, and that's probably me too, way too many mothers who put themselves aside and think that they don't have time for exercise, when in fact, honestly, we don't have time not to exercise. The more fit that we stay, the better we're going to feel and the longer we can enjoy our families through time. So starting now to employ a healthy lifestyle and to get the right kind of exercise not only gives a great example to our children, but also allows us to live healthier and stronger longer. So mothers, this is to you and to all of you who say, I don't have time to exercise. Remember that there's even reference to exercise in the Bible, that physical exercise is good, spiritual exercise is better, but certainly there is value to physical exercise. In fact, a lot of times when I have somebody who's dealing with depression or anxiety, one of the first things we might talk about is, what kind of exercise do you do for stress relief? We know that getting the body moving and releasing some healthy endorphins goes a long way toward helping that person to feel better and get their mood and energy back quickly. So take it upon yourself to start small. I also encourage people, you don't want to be the all or none mindset. Sometimes when I was in high school especially, um, I'd think, well, I ate that piece of chocolate cake, so the whole day's ruined. I'm just going to eat the rest of whatever I want today. That's the all or none mindset. Or if I don't have time to go out and do the entire program of exercise for the entire hour, I might as well not exercise. So don't have the all or none mindset like I had in high school, but instead take one small step at a time. So maybe you don't have 20 to 40 minutes, but you do have five minutes. So I encourage people to convince themselves that they can do five minutes of exercise, five minutes. And so even if it takes setting the clock on the wall or 
your clock in the kitchen or a timer in the kitchen, something that will give you the framework of five minutes so you can see that it's really not that long. Start with five minutes and work up slowly. It's not magic, there's no guessing game. The more energy you expend means that your balance of energy intake and output will become a healthier balance for you, okay? And I want you to be encouraged that even if you don't lose weight in the first week, keep going. Add to your time the next week. So maybe you did five minutes for two days a week this week. Next week, do five minutes three days a week. And then maybe do 10 minutes three days a week. So really, it's okay to start small. Mark it on your calendar and move forward. You'll be so excited for your own progress. But you got to start somewhere. You can't just sit in the easy chair and expect your weight to change. Sometimes even if you're eating less, the body has a way of conserving energy that sometimes eating less in your day-to-day life and your meal plan is not enough to help get your energy flowing or to change your weight. Sometimes it takes both the diet and the exercise together. Now there are certain people who have a higher metabolism or maybe just a little tiny tweaking will do the trick. But for most of us, it takes healthier diet and healthier exercise to make the plan move forward. And you can do this. It's not rocket science. And like I said, the best way is to start from where you are now and eliminate a few or start with one or two small things that you know are unhealthy for you and modify them or make some kind of a transition to something that you can live with. It doesn't have to all focus around fats either in the area of high cholesterol. Maybe it's just calories. So for example, maybe you drink three soda pops a day, each of them having about 160 calories each. Now maybe you could modify that into having one soda pop a day and two low-calorie drinks, for example, Crystal Light or uh, decaffeinated tea or something that you actually do enjoy but yet has much fewer calories. So maybe the Crystal Light now has four calories and the tea has zero calories Uh, or maybe you even like diet soda, although soda itself does have some risk and benefits, um, mostly risks, (laughs) um, that, you know, sometimes lower or moderation is key in all things. So soda pop, especially having some extra phosphates that we just don't need, and the carbonation doesn't always set well in the stomach, all of those things. Acid, all of those things don't always set well with the stomach. So what you need to do is think of what are some ways that I can be even healthier. Maybe you could add water or fruit water or some of the, you know, fun new waters to your uh, diet and healthy regimen of what you drink each day. So just by changing that small thing, you know, going from three pops to one pop and adding two low calorie drinks, you've already saved almost 200 to 250, maybe 300 calories a day. And over time, 300 calories adds up. So we have to think long-term here. But if you think about that, in a week's time, that's saving 3,000 calories. That's a lot. And that means a lot that you wouldn't have to expend in energy just to keep your weight stable. So people often come to the office 
And unfortunately, we have to log their weight every single time. People don't like that so much, but it does give us a lot of indication, especially when you see that weight over time. It shows us how things do change, and usually, unfortunately, usually the trend is year by year, people are adding weight, and it's staying gone instead of coming off and on. Some people like to say, well, I'm always thinner in the summer. And that's fine. The problem is, is most people are fatter from one summer to the next. So unfortunately, we all have to look at the battle of the bulge in a way that's more strategic. One more benefit of moderate exercise is to sometimes raise up the HDL. And last uh, segment, we talked about how the HDL are the uh, cells or the cholesterols that clean up our blood vessels. And these cleanup molecules help us to keep our balance of good to bad cholesterol better, making our health profile better over time also. The other encouragement I have is not to give up. Again, don't get in the all or none mindset, uh, but if you mess up on one day, don't give up for the whole month, okay? Um, it, it's really easy to do. And that's why I encourage people to start with small things that can be changed and not make you feel like you're totally deprived. You know, what can I do? What can I live with? Because even people who have been referred to dietitians, while they have excellent benefits in the beginning, if they decide that this is too much change for them and go back to their old ways, you know, this is just not working or I can't do it, I can't maintain it then they really are not going to have the success that they want. So, you know, it's going to take long-term commitment and motivation to healthier living. Uh, we can't walk away from it in two months and expect it to be uh, something that helped us out. So, you know, you may lose your 20 pounds, but if you go back to your old habits, it's just not going to stay that way over time. I think we sometimes expect that, oh, I went on that diet, now I can... Uh, relax and go back to exactly what I was doing before. Unfortunately, that's just not going to work. So that's why I sometimes say diets don't work because they're too extreme. They make you change into somebody that you're not. So it's important to, like I said, start with one small step. See if you can maintain it. See if you can continue it over time. And if you can, go for another small step. It doesn't take all that much. What I love about this battle is that it's not it's not a sprint it's the long haul it's also made our saints great so let's kind of compare this to our spirituality goals in the fact that everybody sins everybody screws up everybody falls short of the glory of god but it's those who keep getting up trying again and walking forward that make it to the circle of sainthood so our physical life and our spiritual life have so many parallels. They are one. They are connected and they are combined. So what you can do to live healthy physically also helps you to be more disciplined spiritually. And unfortunately, we don't always like discipline. It's not an easy word to swallow. And so what we have to do is sometimes make this into a spiritual battle. You may have to employ Lent or Advent to give you motivation to make a small change, and that's okay. 
You know, there are times in Lent where we all give up our favorite things, our sweets, our chocolates, our caffeine. Oh, so many things that we give up at Lent. But could it be something that propels you on to an even healthier lifestyle afterward? Let's say, for example, that you give up sweets on every day except for Sunday in Lent. Or maybe if you're like the gung-ho types, which my family, when I was growing up, we tended to not give yourself any slack till it was Easter Sunday. So let's say you gave up all sweets for the entire Lent. Maybe going back to that after Lent and saying, you know, it'd be healthier for me overall if I don't eat sweets except for once a week, which would be a special day or a Sunday. You know, if I had my birthday that week, I would let that be my sweets day. So really seriously think about how can my spiritual goals also help my physical goals and then get after it. You know, it's okay to pray about what should I do for my body physically? How, Lord, can I live better for you in a way that helps to honor the body that you gave me. I don't think that's bad at all. And think I, I, in fact, I think that's probably pretty healthy and helpful to realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You have to live with it. So don't give up. All right, let's take a break and we'll come back after this segment and talk about secondary prevention. What are some other things that we're doing in medicines to help the cholesterol? This is One Body Stewarding God's Creation with Dr. Amy Hogan, and we're talking today about high cholesterol. Welcome back. This is Dr. Amy Hogan with One Body Stewarding God's Creation. And we're going to talk now about what does a person need to do if they already have a particular kind of uh, coronary heart disease or coronary heart disease risk factor. There are several things that put us at risk for coronary heart disease. And sometimes this means we need to be proactive on lowering our cholesterol. In fact, even lower than the mainstream. We're going to talk about some of those risk factors, but also going to talk about some of the medications that your doctor may consider or want to try on you, or maybe you're already on them. I'll tell you, when I um, had my husband uh, check his cholesterol, even as a young man, I decided, boy, you know what? You're not all that big of a guy. There's not a lot of weight to lose, and you're somewhat of an active guy, and I don't see you changing your activity level too much, so I'd really like you to be on a statin medicine to try to keep your cholesterol lower through time so you don't have as much 
coronary heart disease risk later on in life. So even in his 30s, I'm going to be honest, I said, you'd better get on a cholesterol medicine. And part of that was his family history. So one coronary heart disease risk factor is to have family history or familial high cholesterol. And sometimes this can be mega cholesterol. I've seen people with cholesterol in the hundreds and their triglycerides in the thousands. And so there are times when you don't always control the genetics you get, and it's important to think proactively instead of always reactively. But that is a coronary heart disease risk factor, and that would mean that we need to work on prevention of the heart disease from the get-go. This is still sort of a primary prevention phase, but it also... um, you know, the person's disease is already out of the bag. There's nothing really they could do to control it. So getting it under control is really important. It's also important not to feel guilty about having high cholesterol all the time. Uh, Certainly, if you are guilty of not modifying your life, or if you are continuing to do things that are harmful to your lifestyle, then it is time to reevaluate. But You know, familial hypercholesterolemia, not a lot you can do about it besides, again, trying to stay healthy and live well. Those things do help even the person with familial cholesterol problems. But it's also time to get proactive and see if there's a medication that can help you. Other things that people are seeing that are coronary heart disease risk factors are things like diabetes. Diabetes definitely sets up a person for inflammation in their blood vessels, which can lead to coronary heart disease. So we call diabetes a coronary heart disease equivalent. And it means that if you've had diabetes, we better act like you've been at risk or had a heart attack. We want to get your cholesterol as low as possible. In fact, right now, the LDL or bad cholesterol goal for people with diabetes or previous heart disease is the same at 70, 70. So if you're a doctor, even though your cholesterol has come down from maybe the last time you were by or your cholesterol is better than it was last year, It may be that if you have coronary heart disease risk factors, they want it to be lower still. So just realize that's the new standard and the new goal is to continue to get that cholesterol so low that your LDL or bad cholesterol is less than 70. Other people that would be candidates for extreme reduction would be um, someone who has symptomatic coronary artery disease or has known coronary artery blockage, even if it's a small blockage, we want to get that cholesterol as low as possible if there's a blockage that's been shown through the heart cath, even if it's a small blockage, because we want to decrease the risk of those plaques continuing to form and that we want to decrease the risk of that person needing uh, a coronary artery bypass, and that's a huge surgery that is uh, to help the blood vessels of the heart continue to flow blood around the blockage. So if you are like many of the Americans, you've had a heart cath and have had a stent or an angioplasty or just have known coronary heart disease already, it's important that we modify your risk to as low risk as possible, and that means lowering that cholesterol. So it's important that we do that with our diet and exercise as well as cholesterol-lowering medications. 
Another thing that might be a risk factor would be peripheral artery disease. That means maybe your heart hasn't been the problem, but your legs and your arms, typically it's the legs that give us the most problems, but if your legs are having artery blockage and you're having problems with what they call claudication, that's when you walk, you get dull pain in your legs and you've been proven to have peripheral artery disease, that's extremity artery disease, you too should be put on cholesterol-lowering medications if necessary to get that cholesterol as low as possible. Another risk factor would be an abdominal aortic aneurysm. That's when your big artery that goes down through your abdomen and your lower chest, that that artery has had problems with changes in the size of it and now has some stress or tension there. We want that artery to behave as well as possible, and we don't want any other artery disease risk. Finally, a little bit softer coronary heart disease risk is high blood pressure. So sometimes, even if you don't have artery disease in the past, or even if you don't have history of known coronary artery disease, but your blood pressure has not been behaving, this may be another risk factor strong enough to put you on cholesterol-lowering medication. Another thing to note is sometimes it's not that your cholesterol is so high, but that your good cholesterol is so low. That's another coronary artery disease risk factor. So if your HDL or good cholesterol is quite low, and your LDL or your bad cholesterol is average, it still puts you at pretty high risk for developing heart disease. Changing the subject just a little bit, it's also a known problem to have faced or have family history of stroke. So uh, not just coronary heart disease, but also cerebrovascular disease, that's disease of the vessels in the brain, can put you at risk of many problems. So if you've had high risk of stroke, or your family has had a stroke, or you've had a stroke, it might be worth considering a cholesterol-lowering medication, along with the lifestyle and the diet changes and the exercise that would make you a healthier person to decrease the risk of a stroke. Let's go on now to talk briefly about medications. It's important that you remember that this uh, conversation today does not suffice for conversation with your own medical doctor about cholesterol and cholesterol-lowering medications. We're just giving you a brief overview about some of the things that certainly do help folks and some of the things that could help you if you had high cholesterol. What I also want to help you remember is that the medications are really simply damage control. They do not suffice for a healthier diet and a healthier you. So even though some of these medications can decrease your risk of heart attack or stroke, they certainly do not take the place of living healthier and stewarding your body. It's just one more tool to help to get the cholesterol to the right range. One of the most common medications that we see prescribed for high cholesterol right now is the statin medications. That's S-T-A-T-I-N, statins. There's many in this class, and they've been used quite successfully to help to lower the cholesterol and to decrease the risk of heart disease and stroke. According to my sources at UpToDate.com, the statins are the only class of drugs to demonstrate clear improvements 
in overall mortality in primary and secondary prevention for the coronary heart disease. So in other words, the other ones may lower the cholesterol and lower some risk, but the statins are the only ones who've proven to change the disease outcomes. Statins are used very commonly, and the way that they work is to modify how the liver produces cholesterols and to decrease the overall cholesterol load in the body through the liver and the liver's mechanisms. Now, sometimes statins aren't tolerated. The most common reason that statins are not tolerated is because they can cause myopathy or muscle pain and muscle weakness, which then cannot be tolerated and the statin has to be stopped or changed. The other part would be that the liver gets irritated. As mentioned, the statin's main effect is on how the liver processes cholesterols. And so therefore, if the liver enzymes or the liver itself has had history of disease, sometimes statins are not able to be used. But most people, many people, have tolerated them very well. In fact, sometimes doctors will joke about just putting statins in the water. Of course, we can't do that because that would be against all of our constitutional rights. Uh, but other than that, also uh, pregnant women and those who are known to have trouble with their liver or kidneys certainly should not be on statins. Another medication that has its very own class is called Zetia. Now, not to be biased, but this is the only one that I know of in that class, and its um, action is to decrease cholesterol absorption. It's a cholesterol absorption inhibitor, and therefore sometimes can be added to a statin to help to continue to benefit the change of the cholesterol in a healthier direction. Now I'll just briefly mention a few other medications that your doctor may employ, but they all have different risks and benefits that certainly need to be discussed on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, some of these other medications, their classes are called phenofibrates. These are typically known to lower triglycerides and possibly raise HDL. The risk and benefit, again, is not always right for every person. Another one is niacin. Again, this one has some effect with high cholesterol, but uh, one of its possible benefits is to raise the HDL. We mentioned Zetia as an adjunct to a statin therapy. Uh, alone, Zetia may help to decrease the LDL, uh, but it may not be quite as effective as the statins. Another class is called the bile acid sequestrants. It can be used alone or in combination with a statin or a niacin, but the side effects sometimes limit this, and so again, necessary to talk with your doctor. One other area of interest which doesn't always get as much press is the omega-3 fatty acids. Omega-3s are certainly known to decrease uh, triglycerides, but one of the nice things about omega-3s is they typically don't hurt you and may in fact help you in the area of coronary artery events. Um, there was a giant study in Italy called the GISI trial that showed some pretty extreme decrease in coronary heart disease events, in other words, sudden heart events like heart attacks and arrhythmias, just by having 
uh, over a gram a day of the essential fatty acids, DHA and EPA. And so uh, right now they want you to have four grams a day of the overall omega-3s, but at least one gram a day of the DHA and EPA. So adding that up, um, sometimes you'll get capsules over the counter that have maybe 200 of DHA and 150 of EPA. Those are the essential fatty acids. So adding those up, and there's definitely some on the market fish oils that are pharmaceutical grade as well. So especially us Kansans where we don't eat enough fish, supplementing with an omega-3 may be an excellent idea and it also could decrease your triglycerides and maybe even your cholesterol. So give it some thought. Well, we're coming to the end today. One more quick quip is that we have a lot of things going on politically in our Catholic culture right now. If you haven't already gone to the Conference of Catholic Bishops website to help your representatives and senators to know where you stand on your right to religious freedoms, I encourage you to do that. So usccb.org and to click on the action alert there to let your senators and representatives know that as a Catholic, you do not want your rights to religious freedom to be stepped on by having the president and the health and human services tell you what's mandated to be paid for in the area of health insurance. That's contraception, abortion, and all of the abortion-causing agents that hormonal contraceptives and morning-after pills are. So you go there and tell them. The other thing is that apparently right now uh, the Obama administration and uh, one of the senators, Reid, are trying to do is to block action on an amendment to Obamacare, which would allow for conscience protection. And so this amendment is Senate 1520, and one of the groups taking action on it or to encourage your senators to help this come to a vote to amend Obamacare to allow for conscience protection uh, is the Americans United for Life. You can go to their website at aulaction.org. That's Americans United for Life at aulaction.org. And you can go there and you can become involved in trying to push forward this amendment. Now, in my opinion, Obamacare needs to be repealed altogether. But in the meantime, we should at least do some things that would amend Obamacare to allow uh, Catholics and all people of good faith to be able to do what's right. And that would be through this amendment, 1520 Senate Amendment. Okay, so I hope that you'll be proactive in stewarding your body and stewarding God's creation. This is Dr. Amy Hogan. Good day.